Seahawks fans wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your hosts, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, here with Keith Myers. Keith, welcome back into the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Let's uh, let's talk some some football because, yeah, it's nice out. Um, it's like we want to go outside and and do some stuff, and you know, it just it just feels like it's spring and and you know, active and, and football comes to mind, even though football is a fall sport, but it's just like, let's go out and do something. Yeah. Spring training ended and, um, it immediately turned to summer here in Arizona. So it was, it was kind of chilly, uh, all mm-hmm. spring training. It was nice, but it was uh, a little chilly and a little windy, um, you know, five, seven degrees under normal temperatures here. And as soon as spring training ended, I kid you not, it, it went into the nineties and it's been there since. And it's, you know, for me now, so like yesterday it was 97 degrees. So 97 degrees here means you just take off your sweatshirt um, coming out of spring. That's really <laughs> what, it, what it means for me. No. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, you get used to it. I'm telling you, if it's below like 80, like you bring a sweatshirt just in case because you never know. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful out here though. Um, today's show, um, we're going to talk, uh, we're getting back into our NFL prospects, um, series and we're at the defensive line guys. So defensive tackles and edge players and traditional defensive end guys. And, um, Seattle is actually in pretty good shape, uh, right now, um, on the roster, uh, with, uh, those position groups, um, I think we talked a little bit right before the show where I, I said, where are we, where are we deficient? Where are we really good? You said maybe at defensive tackle and that's might just be a role player. And, and they have um, Cedric Lattimore on the back end of the roster too, that I think that they really like too. So I'm not even sure if they, if they didn't even make a move there and just got some undrafted guys to come into camp, they might be okay, but uh, we'll talk about that. And um, before we get into that part of the show, let's talk about, just the last week or so uh, since we've been on of uh, Seahawks free agency, we had uh, a number of different contract um, amounts come out that we didn't have before that really make the, the off season um, look really good for Seattle. And it just kind of came together, you know, when you've started free agency and, and you know, this absolutely it could have gone south. I mean, we didn't really have a lot of cap space. Uh, we had a lot of um, unrestricted free agents to either resign or move on from and then replace. And so it was looking pretty sketchy. The, the whole thing and started very out draft capital and, and four draft picks yeah. initially. We ended up starting the entire process by unloading Carlos Dunlap and his $14 million cap hit just so that we could have some room knowing that they would like to bring him back, but nothing's guaranteed. He could have gone on and signed with another team. The market there kind of was soft for him, so he was able to come back. Ended up being just a tremendous team uh, cap-friendly deal, along with all the other moves that they made. Keith, what's kind of stood out to you as far as one or two uh, moves, including what we ended up doing contract-wise that really stood out for you? Well, I really like the trade for... um Gabe Jackson at guard. Um, of you know, course you the, do. Of course I do. I'm an <laughs> offensive line guy. But they took what was the weakest spot on the on the offensive line and made it a huge strength. Um, and then they turned around and uh, signed him to a new a new deal. Uh, it's a three year deal. Tore up the remaining two years of his contract. So it actually was only a one year extension in terms of. Um, team control and all that because he was already under contract for this coming season 2021 and 2022 and now he's playing on a completely new contract for all three of those um, for those two years and one more why did but it, they do that because it, it, it allowed them to he had when you trade for a player you don't have any of that dead money um, 
because of a signing bonus. I mean, the, the team that traded him, so in this case, the Raiders, had to eat all of that. And so he came so, in with completely unguaranteed money so that you yeah. could massage that to your Yeah, he, and he had, so he had no, no dead money um, left in his contract for Seattle. So they were able to, um, they were able to rework that in any way that, that the, they could agree upon to do. And so finding a way to get his cap number really low for this year, give him an extra year, give him some more guarantees, you know, make him happy that way, but get his cap number way down um, for 2021. It, it just made a lot of sense. So they they traded for him, gave up a fifth round pick, which is you know pocket change for most NFL teams, um, uh, and then re-signed him. So he now he's under contract for three years and has a really low cap number this year, which created a ton of cap space, which they need right now. Is that um, uh... Did that contract include any voidable years, which the Seahawks seemed to stack up um, several times as well in the contracts that they gave out this? Uh, this you know, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know if there's if there was a fourth voidable year on there or not. Um, but I just was look. I just looked at like it's 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 he's on he's on the roster for three years. He's under team control for three years. If there's a fourth voided voidable year um, out there, I'm gonna go look at it. Just I right missed now. that part. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the deal to me that stands out. I mean, you... Yeah, so I'll break it down for you here. Uh, okay. Three years, uh, $22.575 million, $9 million signing bonus. Average salary APY is 7.5. Uh, uh, total guarantees 10, um, 10 million, essentially. You got that at signing. Um, so that's how they're able to spread that out. Um, mm -hmm. And there's no void year. So No void year on that one. It's a legit three-year contract. Yeah, so it's about seven and a half million for and an it, elite. You know, by the top time it gets guard. to twenty twenty three, the uh, the dead cap uh, hit would be uh, three million dollars if you moved on from him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, pretty yeah. reasonable overall. And the cap hit in twenty twenty one is only four million uh, seventy five thousand, which is down from nine. Correct. Um, Absolutely. And not only that, but so it was. It's down from nine, but his average over the three three years of the contract is just over seven yes so he actually um he got guaranteed money is what basically he, what he traded yeah he he gave up a couple million in um smart, per year to move. get to get guaranteed and basically guarantee him that he was he's going to be on this roster for at least two full years and get all of that money as opposed to coming in playing for one year at nine million and then maybe getting cut when the team needs cap space or, I or thought the, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with that um, as, as being one of the standout uh, moves of the off season so far. Um, the other interesting thing I thought is kind of the, the opposite end of that is that internally they decided not to do anything with the contracts of Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner um, mm -hmm. to, to, to generate the cap space necessary to make the moves that they did. They, they went elsewhere to do it, did some creative things added avoidable uh, years onto contracts to spread out um, bonus money and so forth uh, to lower 2021 cap hits. We talked about them doing that before the off season started. Are you surprised in the way that they approached the off season and uh, written up these contracts? Because they've been a team that's been very good with contracts so far uh, up until just right now. Well, um, yes and no. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised because it's out of character. I'm not surprised in that this is a very unique year. The cap went down by about $15 million and the cap never goes down. It always goes up, right? <clears throat> but because of COVID and lack of, you know, player or fans in stadiums and whatnot, revenue is down. And so it's just a unique year. It's a unique situation. They also signed the new TV deal that is like twice as big as the old one. So the cap's going to go up yes. very quickly after this year. So to take some of the pain out of the, this year where it goes down um, and stretch it into the years where it's going to go up really quickly makes a lot of sense, makes a ton of sense. And so the team was able to do what they needed to do with those contracts and, and reload this roster and get ready for another run um, in a year where everything, when it's coming down and there were all these constraints and all of that, I think it was was really well done. So the uh, just running a couple of 
of uh, 2021 cap hits by you. Mm-hmm. Um, Benson Mayoa, 2.2. Chris Carson, $2.5 million cap hit in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, he came back on a deal. So uh, not to brag or whatever, but we talked about Chris Carson, what would likely happen in his market. And we said, he's going to go out there. He wants, you know, eight or nine, um, which is kind of a top five kind of guy. And he's not going to, and he's it. not going to get it because he's missed time. He's had some fumble issues. He's, uh, he's going to, he's going to be a little older. And, um, if he was able to come back, he would likely come back on about a $5.5 million deal, maybe a one year deal that ended up being kind of what he did. And then the lower cap hit on 2021 is just the cherry on top. Um, legit be around for a couple more years. I think, um, that's a good move for Seattle. Now if they can get 12 to 14 games out of him every year, which is kind of what you're going to get now, um, with him, it'd be awesome if he would play 16 games plus playoffs and, uh, have 20 carries a game, but I don't know that his body is going to be able to take that. We'll, we'll see, but nonetheless, that's a really good contract for the style of running back that, that Seattle likes to have there. Yeah. And a good player, um, knows the system. I mean, the guy is a difference maker when he's on the field. I think that guys that have, that are like him that miss a lot of time, you know, now we have a 17 game, um, season. And they need to make sure that yeah. they've got people behind him. Well, let's talk about the um, running back situation. You know, uh, Penny's coming back mm-hmm. um, off the ACL. Uh, could have maybe, you know, come back more last year, uh, maybe. But he'll be back this year, hopefully at full strength. Um, that's a really nice tandem, I think, especially with Waldron on that stretch zone. I think Penny's actually a really decent player for that scheme. Oh, and yeah. then Collins on the on the back end, we we brought back on a, a veteran minimum deal, and then the young guys, Homer and Dallas. Is that a good group? Are are you satisfied with that? Do you think that they address that at all in the draft? If a player were to come to them, fall to them, be be there for the taking. With three draft picks, I don't think so. I mean, they 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 have Penny. They signed um, re-signed Carson, and you've only got three picks. I don't think they address it in the draft. They might address it after the draft or. Um, that kind of thing, but they'll look at, they'll look at adding to that room. I mean, Carson was a seventh round pick, so, um, they could buy a uh, seventh round pick if they, if they wanted to. So, and so, I mean, they'll, they'll, if there's a guy they, they like, and they think could be, you know, the next Carson, uh, that's that. And it'd be kind of cool if Chris Evans was sitting out there in the seventh round and, and, you know, we wanted to buy an extra pick just to get him, um, that would be kind of an interesting player to have for next year when Penny is in a contract or he's in a contract the year this year, they're not going to put a fifth mm-hmm. round or a, uh, a first round fifth year option on Penny this year. There's just no way he and, would have to, he would have to come out this year. Well, no, they, they have to put that designation on him by like may for, you know, third or seventh yeah, yeah. or something like that. So I just <clears> I don't see it. A- yeah, he's a he's I guess he, yeah, he's a, a for a year further into this contract than I was thinking. Um but I was like, yeah, he would he would need to come out and just ball out, but even then if they have to do it now, they're going to they're going to say no and then if he does has he has a monster year, well then they'll pay him next offseason. Um Kerry Hyder, which is another incredible deal, really. I mean, mm-hmm. uh 2.25 million dollar cap hit uh, in 2021 for a player of his caliber. Um, he's a great edge setter base side defensive end, um, that immediately is an upgrade over, uh, Rasheem green. Uh, they plan on moving Collier in inside a little bit more this year, but, uh, even an upgrade over Collier, um, for sure. Um, and a player that's just very disruptive all the time, even when he's not getting to the quarterback. Yeah. I mean, great player. And, I, I cannot believe how little he signed for. Like he is a guy that I was expecting to, even in this market where there was, mm-hmm. where there's very little money to go around and everyone was taking less than, than, you know, you would normally see. I expected him to get, you know, he got about, Benson Mayo level money Yeah, where he's, he's more, and he's a better player, he's a better yeah. player than that. Yeah. You know, he's so, more of a, um, on the, on the field, 70% of the time player where, whereas Mayoa is a 40% maybe guy. 
yeah. you know, but he got a two year, $6.8 million deal with a $2.5 million uh, signing bonus. Total guarantees 3.6. It's, it's uh, amazing. Now they did do a, a third year uh, void uh, with him um, mm-hmm. that helps spread that out. But even the dead cap in that third year is only 850,000 considering the cap space in 2023 is projected to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $150 million or more. And that 200, pro- $250 million. Okay. Well, well, no, I mean available, available <laughs> cap space. Oh, Sorry. okay. Available saying, cap space. Now that's yeah. just the minimum based on before TV contracts were announced. Like we mm-hmm. don't know exactly how much that cap's going to jump, but I can guarantee you it's going to probably be more than we think. Um, and then uh, from there, um, you know, you've got uh, Cedric Abouhe that they brought back, Keith. We didn't even talk about that before, but we... Uh, I think last week's show, we talked about some of the holes that, that are still out there. And one of those was swing tackle guy that can play both on the right and the left. Um, and he's a guy that came in and, and played. Okay. He had a kind of a tough uh, outing once, but uh, the other two or three times that he was in there, I thought he did average. And that's yeah. all you can really ask out of a guy he's, that's going to be a backup. He's a backup. He's a guy that you want for um, roster flexibility because he can play both sides. Um, he can come in, you know, if someone gets hurt, he can start at either, although you don't really want him to because he's a backup. But um, if those guys have value. And I, I think that um, people forget that you've got to have reserves and they've got to be able to, they've got to, they're not going to be as good as your starter. If they would, they would be elsewhere starting. Um, and so you're, it is going to be a little bit of a step down from your starter, but you want someone that can be competent and can be competent at multiple positions. And he showed he could do that last year. And so I, it is a good move because you need those guys. Yeah. You can't just always have, you know, your starters in there. It just doesn't work that way. So the best move I thought that, that fully encapsulated the, um, the ability and the knowledge of John Schneider um, is the, the Carlos Dunlap move. Because mm-hmm. they, he had to do this move in a, in a multi-layer situation. First, he had to release the player. Before he released the player, I'm sure that they had major conversations about uh, this isn't because we don't like you or we don't want you. We just can't have you at the $14 million cap. We've got a lot of things going on with the team roster-wise. We need that money. What we'd like to do is have you go test the market. If you get that, we'll try to match that if, if we're in a position to do it. Or if the market's soft, come back. We'll talk. We'll, we're still interested. Let's put together a contract we can both be happy with. So they did that. It allowed uh, Seattle to be able to have some flexibility early on. And then when the market did uh, prove to be uh, not there for Dunlap, he came back willingly to a team that that he really expressed uh, that he liked. He liked the culture. He wanted to be here, and he was willing to come in and work with the team on the contract and. Uh, to come in with a $2.9 million initial cap hit for 2021 and then accept a deal that was, that was almost half of what he uh, was making before. And, um, and then you've got voidable years, you know? So uh, he's, he does have the, uh, the 2021 and 2022 years um, with a lot of guaranteed money there, but then they've done the 2023, 24 and 25 seasons that are voidable. Um, so that they can spread that cap hit out. Now the mm-hmm. uh, the cap hit in 2023 is 4.2, but then it drops to 1.4 in each of 2024 and 25. Those are that's a pretty reasonable amount of money to absorb um, mm-hmm. if you're going to move on from Dunlap. Well, and, and the whole the whole the whole thing, releasing him, bringing him back, his cap number for 2021, so this season, dropped from 14 million to what was it? 2.9. 2.9 under three, right? That's $11 million in cap space that they were able to use to sign other guys. Yeah. Including and extensions and so forth. Like uh, uh, Lockett, who we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah. Lockett also, I mean, he, he signed a very lucrative deal. Um, and for him, I mean, well earned. I mean, the guy has proven to be one of the most, dynamic and efficient receivers in the entire league. And I know uh, for some reason he still doesn't get the credit for where he's at as far as all of that. But um, it was, 
a well-earned like extension and deal. It's a three-year commitment to a guy that has earned it. And it also dropped his caps number for 2021 considerably. So it was able to also generate a bunch of, of cap space for the team, yeah. which is, you mentioned it earlier, like the, the fact that they went to um, Lockett and Jackson in order to rework their contracts, um, give them extensions and create the cap space that they needed and have now rather than Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, I think is very, yeah, there's a certain, uh, method, very interesting. There's a certain method to the mad, uh, madness of John Schneider and the way that they do contracts and the order in which they do contracts and, um, and retain guys and extend and so forth. And so I thought it was pretty telling. The one guy that I thought that was most telling was on, um, Jamal Adams. So they did, Tyler Lockett before Jamal Adams. I think that's a tribute to the fact that Tyler Lockett's been with the team, has mm-hmm. had the loyalty. That's the order in which they want to do that contract. You know, the money's available and there to do a Jamal Adams extension if they want to do that this year. Strategy wise, with the roster and with the salary cap and so forth, it almost makes more sense to allow him to get to the final year of his contract. Um, because you've got more flexibility, more roster flexibility, and then you've got another year where you can get value out of him, A, and B, you can decide if he continues to be a good fit and you want to move forward with that long term because that contract's going to be really expensive. It's going to be really expensive now if you extend him. It would be even more expensive after next year when new money comes into the into the situation with the TV contracts and so forth. Well, there's a couple things with that. One is this team has a long history of saying, you know, we'll rework your contract when you have one year left. When you have more Absolutely. than one year, when you have more than one year left, you know, we're working with other people. Um, and they only, they've only made one exception on that. And that was Marshawn Lynch. Um, and that kind of bit him a little bit because then other guys were like, well, you did it for him. And why the not next, for me? very next year, Cam Chancellor held out. Yeah. And, and Cam didn't get what he wanted. Exactly. Um, that year, he got it a year later. So, I mean, you end up, they, they, they don't want to make that exception again. They don't want to get themselves in that uh, situation again. And so uh, they're going to, you're going to see that one probably not do anything. They might be, they there. might do a, a deal at the, you know, in training camp or, you know, right before the season or something like that, but likely not. And the reason mm-hmm. being is that um, Jamal Adams is a premier guy. And so the, um, the franchise tag actually comes into play with a player like him because what happens is is that um he's going to go through his fifth year option uh year and then you've got a franchise tag that you could apply so the and a second one if you really needed to but i mean the, it really goes up after that but i'm telling you what though the team's got at least two more years of team control with the franchise tag and the franchise tag level for safeties is going to be about three or four million dollars less that year than what he would want to make average per year um, salary increase, you know, overall yeah. compensation. So it might make more sense financially and strategically for the Seahawks to put a franchise tag on him, like they did um, Frank Clark. And mm-hmm. you know, as you know, uh, the franchise tag does not prohibit you from trading a player too. So there's a lot of options there from a front office standpoint that I could totally see them play out with. Now it might not make Jamal happy, but that's, it's the business side of the, of the end of, of this deal that I think you need to watch. Yeah. And then the other thing is they didn't, they didn't restructure Wilson. Why? Because trading him this off season is financially a nightmare. Um, trading him next off season actually is possible. And if all of the nonsense between him and the team this year, doesn't get worked out, they want that option. And if you rework his deal to create cap space, he becomes kind of untradeable again next year, like he is this year. Right. Um, the Bobby Wagner one is the one that I found interesting because what that tells me that they didn't go to him. They didn't just move his um, salary to signing bonus and push the cap hit into next year. Um, says that they aren't necessarily sure how much longer he's, you know, going to be with the team and, mm-hmm. and got le- left being an elite player. Just like Kim um, Brown too. You know, they didn't, they, they had some money there to rework that as well. 
Yeah. So you're looking at, um, you know, a year from now, you've got uh, Brown, Wilson, and Wagner, three of your your better players, but three of your older players um, that all technically could be moved. If this team hit a point where they're like, okay, we're going to reset a little bit, um, you've got you've got the ability to acquire a ton of draft capital um, real quick. Right, uh, and cap space. <laughs> yeah. And cap space. So, mm-hmm. um, interesting. Yeah, I think overall, I think that the team, given the resources, given the, the draft capital, the cap hit, the fact that we had so many guys that were unrestricted, um, you know, uh, that, that could leave or we needed to resign. I think it was a pretty masterful job overall by John Schneider, to be completely honest. Um, they upgraded the spot, as you said, with Gabe Jackson, that was probably the most important spot, given mm-hmm. the strategy of trying to make Russell Wilson happy too. Regardless of Wilson, I think that they needed to address that spot, and they probably likely made a similar move anyway, regardless. And then the Dunlap thing, and um, you know, there was just there was just some really good, nice value signings as well. And then the extension with Tyler Lockett to me is is a no brainer. The uh, you know, there's a couple of holes left um, on, on the on the deal, and we're going to talk about prospects um, here specifically on the defensive line. One of those uh, could possibly be a defensive tackle. Um, so let's move into that conversation. So um, it, it's been a, a couple weeks, I think, since we've talked about uh, draft prospects and we've uh, reached the month of April. It's the NFL draft month at the end of uh, the end of the month. And um, so we're going to keep talking about uh, prospects that would be good Seahawk fits. Now, the issue is obviously uh, Seattle only has three draft picks, a second round, a fourth round and a seventh round. Now, um, you know, we've talked about the ability to add um, picks. I, you know, seventh round uh, is typically an area where John Schneider is not afraid to buy a pick if you if you need to and trade a, a future pick and, and uh, to to acquire that sort of level uh, in the draft. And then they likely seemed like they would move back off that two fifty six number only because that's the only way they could generate really any draft capital um, at all. By, by moving that pick, maybe pick up an additional fourth round pick type of a thing so that you could end the draft with maybe the top of the third um, range and then two fourths and then a seventh and maybe you could buy a seventh. You could leave the draft with, you know, five picks or, or so. What are your thoughts on just strategy before we get into players? Oh, yeah. Going, going from 56 and moving down to like, you know, six, somewhere 60 to 65, um, you can get a fourth round pick for that. Um, you can move down in the fourth round from um, you, once you get you know you got two fourth round picks, so you move down a little bit. Right. You're still in the fourth round, um, and you pick up a sixth round pick to do that. So you end up with late two, early three, four, four, six, seven, and then you buy a seventh rounder, um, and you end up with a collection of players. Now that's all you know. That's n- no players in the top fifty. Um, only one player in the top 100, three players in the top 150. I mean, it's not a huge draft haul as far as, like, guys, but it's better than having three three players, right? You you need that youth infusion every year to keep your roster viable and, and going. Um, at the same time, this is not a great year to be loaded up on picks uh, because you don't know these players as well as you would in a normal year. There's no combine. There's no uh, team workouts. There's no, like, the individual stuff. You have half as many games to to scout. You've got a bunch of players that opted out of the 2020 season. Um, and you don't know these guys as well as you normally would. And it's like, and the the draft is, a, you know, kind of a crapshoot Um on a, normal, on a normal year, yeah. On a normal year, and now you don't know the players as well. So it makes it even worse. It's just, you know, randomly throwing um, darts at a dartboard at some point. And uh, so having this be the year where they have less picks makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. It's tough, though, when you get to the draft. You're going to want those picks. <laughs> You're going to want. And they're not going to be there. So it's hard to it's hard to go through the draft and to be there and 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 all the things and seeing 
other teams get guys that you like that you believe could help your team win and you see them going ever and you're like, oh, we, but we don't get to take any right. of them to fix them. Right. That's you a know, hard it, spot to it, be in. And it's hard too, because your team depends on low cost quality incoming talent. And this is the best way to do it. And we're just going to take a year off. I mean, that's just basically when it's going to amount to, we may end up with just only one impact guy out of this draft, a guy that can make a difference in 2021. It's, it's, it could happen that, we might not get a guy that uh, that makes any sort of impact this year, but maybe they they plan on um, on taking the kind of the future route with the draft this year. Who knows? Um, but let's let's approach it and and find out. The other thing that I, we totally forgot to mention earlier was the team let go of Jerron Reed. So we're going to talk about defensive tackles here. Jerron Reed was our starting three tech uh, tackle. They've talked about L.J. Collier moving inside at least on passing downs. Um, but the team, if they were going to, and they, and they signed Al Woods. Now Al Woods is more of a, a run stuffing kind of a guy. He's not going to mm-hmm. give you that penetrating disruption, but he is going to, you know, take on double teams with Puna Ford and, and, uh, likely improves us even a little bit, um, stopping the run this year, which is great, but we might take a step back on rushing the passer. We just don't know yet. I think collectively our defensive line is really solid and, and better, but, uh, we'll we'll see how that comes together. So, what are your thoughts initially on maybe a, a couple of three techs that might come in and um, work into a rotation, possibly if we were to say use that early pick on on a guy or the, or so the or first fourth I guess rounder. For me, like, um, could they use fifty six maybe um, on a defensive tackle? But knowing that they feel like they've got their two starters in Monet and Ford. I'm kind of expecting them to go either offensive tackle for the future, knowing that both of their um, offensive tackles are in contract year, or I guess one's in a contract year and the other one's just old, Um, or to go cornerback, which they need a starting cornerback. Um, But I was, so I looked, I looked um, and and looked at this more in the the next round, like 85, 84, somewhere in there um, as, as kind of where I was looking, um, especially, or if the, you know, they trade down a couple times to get more picks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mean, part of it is also, I wasn't, I wasn't enamored with any of the guys that, um, were, were ranked to where they would be in the fifties. Mm-hmm. And that's, that may be me and, and just misreading it a little bit, but, um, uh, Jay Tufule, um, uh, who's, out of USC 63215 um is one of those guys that I think is going to be available in the late 70s early 80s somewhere in there um just mm-hmm. act just a, a guy that um is ex- super explosive and um gets you know gets in between blocks needs the double team at times um and really needs you know is a guy that I think can be a starter and mm-hmm. and be a a three down guy you know because he can play he can rush the passer and and um you know play the run I I, I think he's at the, it's a great value in that range the reason why he's going to drop is because his tape is full of times when he you know misread the blocking scheme a little bit and he um he you know didn't un- he basically misread the play and and attacked like it was a run when it was a pass or, mm-hmm. or burst up field, like he was rushing the passer and, and left a hole for the yeah. person to run. So behind there's him. a guy that wants to play out of the scheme because he's so athletic. He thinks he can make the play, which is a good thing if you can corral him and get him to play within himself. Yeah. And so that, that's what it, he's going to need coaching. He's going to need to buy into that. And I think what it really, I don't know if he was wanting to play outside the scheme so much as he just misread what was, what was in front of him. And so he needs to learn. And so he's more of a developmental guy, but athletically he can, he can two gap if you need him to, he can, um, you know, rush the passer. He can stop the run overall, um, very athletic guy for his size. And, and, uh, I think could be a starter in the NFL. Um, and so there's, there's, um, one guy that I really like. And in that same, um, same model, same spot would be, um, Aleem McNeil out of mm-hmm. uh, NC State, right? So uh, he's a guy that, um, you know, wasn't really asked to shoot gaps and and make, um, you know, get pressure. He was more asked to 
kind of do what the team asked Jaron Reed to do his first two years, and they've asked Puna Ford to do, and that's, you know, be the, the, the nose guard and, and just eat blocks as much as possible. But on the few instances when they did say, hey, go, go after the quarterback, he showed, you know, the explosiveness to do it. He just needs, um, he needs time and coaching to develop those pass rushing moves and, and, mm-hmm. and make them more consistent and better. Um, but as a guy that's going to come in as a rotation guy, not a, a non-starter for his first year, I mean, they could totally use that. Uh, and I just think that he fits really well with what Seattle likes at the position. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, um, the guy from Washington is going to go probably uh, too early. Um, on oh, yeah. on Wuzu rookie, I think is is his name <laughs> Le- Levi. I'll just call him Levi. Six three two ninety. So he's a total prototypical uh, three tech. I think he comes off the board, you know, before fifty. Um, to be completely honest, um, yeah, he'll go. I think he'll go mid second round. Yeah, Davian Nixon um, is my favorite three tech though that that could be in play if we were to stay around fifty six. Um, played for Iowa. Uh, he's he's definitely one of the most athletic guys um at that position and then a guy like mark uh marlin uh tui Pelodu, um is another guy i really like um he's the other um defensive tackle from usc um he's a little undersized uh, as far as height um but he's really a guy that i like um with good athleticism and agility and all that kind of stuff that kind of plays beyond his size. Um, a, a guy that can, that can really give you some good value in there and play in a, in a four, three front, um, and, and have some, a little bit of diversity for you. He can stop the run and can give you a little bit of penetration. Um, guy like that's, you know, pretty valuable. So mm-hmm. how about just a, you know, base defensive tackle? Do you think the Seahawks are even looking at those guys this year in the draft or it just doesn't seem like it. I don't want to completely trash the show because, you know, <laughs> we're definitely going to be in the market for a guy, but uh, I'm not sure it's going to be a, a high draft pick. It might be one of those seventh rounder kind of guys. Do you have any I anybody mean, later in the in the draft that they might look at? Oh, I got a bunch of guys later in the draft they're going to look at. In fact, that's most of how I prep for today. <laughs> yeah, show. right. Well, give me one. <laughs> give me one. Um, one. Do you want a a pass rusher or just a well, like a Bobby Brown kind of does Bobby? Everything. Okay, that's one of the guys I say Bobby yeah. Brown the third. Yeah, um, it definitely has run stuffer um in the middle could develop more. Um, a guy like um, Kyrus Tonga out of BYU six four two twenty two. I mean, this is a guy that's a pure nose tackle. Um, you know, basically he would be Puna Ford's direct backup and um, just command that middle of the line. Uh, guy eat blocks requires a double team on on running downs that kind of stuff. I mean, he's kind of the, that's that's the type of player that the Seahawks like. I mean, look at at Ford and Monet and yeah. and and you know they have a lot. They've they've gone and and looked at those kind of guys a lot. So um, I like that. But for me, I was looking more at you know what do they need? Right? They've got three really good run stuffers at defensive tackle. What they need is a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. They need a guy that can can get upfield, create pressure, um, and I mean, and they've they've had that um, over the years, right? They've they've had um, Clinton McDonald, and then they had Quentin Richardson, um, no, Quentin Jefferson, wow, um, who eventually got cut and then brought him back as a defensive end, and and you know they've they've looked for guys that can rush the passer on the interior and had just rotational guys there um and there's there's some there's some decent ones um you look at like Jalen Twyman uh out of Pittsburgh who's 62290 right i mean so he's undersized in the middle but man that guy's just explosive um and you know he's going to get he's going to get kind of washed out against the run but he's going to going to be able to get up field and 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 get pressure on a quarterback mm-hmm. he's going to move a quarterback off a spot um you know so uh darius stills mm-hmm. uh, out of west virginia who's um 6'1 uh, 281 so he's actually undersized um both in height and in weight and those but, guys are kind of like fourth round guys maybe no maybe i fifth? think they're lower i think they're lower i think they're they're all guys that are going to go um early 
you know, no, somewhere in like the two round 200, 180. Oh, that lower. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Well, it, for like for stills, I mean, why did Puna Ford go undrafted? Well, because he was short. Right. Um, yeah, the guy's only 6'1". Yeah, no, I, yeah, I get that. But he's kind of got that natural, uh, you know, uh, lever quality can get down and, and um, underneath. Yeah, he'll win, and, he'll win the, 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 the pad level game. But uh, we knew that about Ford coming out, yeah. too. And no, you're right. I mean, he would, they would love for him to be available in the seventh round. I mean, yeah. Seattle would jump all over that because, you know, Puna Ford is awesome. But you, you kind of want a, a guy that, that's in there. Now, Monet's, you know, great. Um, 240 pounds. And, and Woods <laughs> is on a one-year contract. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they you want a guy to be able to have on the roster that you can develop and, and come in, especially like, for a guy like Woods, you know, that's, that moves on and, and a younger guy come in and, and take care of business like that. Um, or just to have a fourth guy in the rotation. So you've yeah. got three guys that can play, right? Um, you know, all the time. And then you have the fourth guy that comes in, in on third and long or, yeah. you know, in the two minute drill when you know the other team's throwing. Yeah. No, I like and your you, Twyman pick too. Um, from, from Pittsburgh, you know, that's a mm-hmm. great quality guy. That's, that's that's a little bit higher end quality. I thought I thought he would be the kind of a fourth fifth round guy, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, the the guy that I'm looking at at the back end of the of the uh, the draft, like in the seventh round or undrafted, would be uh, Taekwon Graham um, out of mm-hmm. Texas um, mm-hmm. at six three, two hundred ninety pounds. He's kind of a guy that you're going to develop along a little bit, um, but he's a total three technique kind of guy, um, and he's got. You know, he's very strong. He's got some good hands to him. He just needs some more time and um, to develop on the on the back end of the roster. But he's got some upside athleticism, I thought, um, at, in that range, you know, where you're going to take a guy late. So so uh, in that same in that same area, same model, same rough size, um, Mustafa Johnson mm. out of Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much, you know, the. Pretty much the you can use the same exact uh, description that you just said um, and, and apply it to him too. So just a very similar. I totally guy. agree. They're going to be in the same range, almost the same size. I think Mustafa is like uh, an inch shorter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know that um, that Buffalo defense, that the Colorado Buffalo defense, is an underrated unit most years. And a guy like that coming in from a program like that with good coaching on the defensive line there. I think is a, is a guy that you could plug in right away um, in a rotation and he's probably, you know, sufficient enough to, to be on your back end of your roster. Hopefully help you on some special team stuff as well at 290 pounds. You, you could put that guy in, in a special teams role for sure. Yeah. Especially like um, field goal block, um, pump block, interior um, type of situation. You could, you could definitely get some, some value out of that. Absolutely. I, I, and um, you're right that the the Buffalo defense is underrated. I mean, it is. I mean, people don't realize that they actually have a, they. It's not maybe not a, the the best overall program there in Colorado, but their defense is usually well coached. So let's talk defensive ends and edge guys, and maybe strong side linebacker types. We're not going to get into, but there's some crossover there. You know, if we have yep. one or two guys that might uh, might line up outside and move inside on passing down. Yes, yeah. I didn't put, um, I, I don't have the notes on this because I was looking at Seattle's roster and you realize that they are like four people deep on both sides of the line. Yeah. Right. Cause go down, you know, um, at the Leo spot, you've got, um, Dunlap, you've got, um, Mayoa, you've got Lewis, um, not Lewis. Um, the guy that was starting last year. Alton Robinson. Alton Robinson and Taylor. Yeah, Taylor. That's right. Um, so you've got those four guys at the, at, on the uh, at the Leo side, and on the other side, you've got um, Hyder, who they signed. You've got uh, Collier, who was the starter last year. You've got um, Rasheem Green, who they're still waiting on developing into the guy that they they saw flashes of when he was a rookie, but he gets hurt a lot. Um, and you can move. Um, Taylor, um, Robinson, or even Dunlap over to that side if you needed to. 
I mean, they're loaded at defensive end. I know they are. And, you know, and so it doesn't mean that they won't take the best player available if somebody just completely falls to them or whatever. You know, there's right. a guy on the roster like Ben Simeo who has a small contract that you could you could cut or release or try to, you know, flip for a, for a, a you know, buy a draft pick or whatever, a guy sitting there and you just want to upgrade. I don't think it would happen during the draft, but, if, you know, during camp you might um, you might release him for something. Um, mm-hmm. I, you're right. There's probably not going to be a lot of activity there uh, for for Seattle at the defensive end position. They do need a strong side linebacker kind of a guy, though. Um, and, it, you know, the, the, the speed level, I thought, in this, uh, on the 40 times for some of the pro day guys were, were just incredible this year. I don't know if you saw 40 times for defensive ends, but like Jason Hawaii from Penn State ran a 4-3-9-40. Yeah. Um, I, now, now, I know you're going to say so it's many, a hand stopwatch, all that kind of stuff. Every, I get that. But nonetheless, everybody, that's blistering for a defensive end at his size. Everybody's running super fast this year because there's no combine. Right, but and yeah, so, at six five two fifty seven, running a four four, what? That's yeah. That's that. If that were to be true, and if he was hand timed by some of the other player represent or uh, team representatives there, uh, in that range, he could move up draft boards because of that sort of a performance. Yeah, and and so I and he's the type of guy that would be available. At, um, he might be available at fifty six. He might have to move up a little bit to get him. Um, but he's in that range, right? And so, but if you're getting him, you're not expecting him to come in and be your defensive end. You're expecting him to be your strong side linebacker mm-hmm. and um, use that speed and coverage a little bit, set the edge against the run, rush the passer, um, you know, do do a lot of different things. Right. And I think that's like, it, that would be a great fit for him. Um, but yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to use that, that, that 56 pick in order to get a guy like that. Um, yes, of course. Absolutely. You know, you can mention you like Patrick Jones, same sort of player. Um, Carlos Basham, you know, you could play him at, at uh, a strong side guy and move him, move him up. Um, anyway, we're, Quincy, Quincy Roche. Yeah. Um, a guy like that. Miami. Exactly. I think that he would be an outstanding strong side linebacker um, mm-hmm. type, type player for you. But at one fifty two, you know, Seattle's there at, in the fourth round. Um, if they're wanting a guy, um, it, it, it's just so hard because, um, we don't know exactly what, what's going on yet with KJ Wright. And if they bring KJ Wright back, that no, that, that picks off the board, um, because they're going to go spend that somewhere else. But, uh, if KJ Wright doesn't come back, there's, you know, Cody Barton's penciled in right now, um, along with, uh, Brooks and Wagner. And yeah. are we comfortable as a team, as a defense, especially with our defensive line, are we comfortable with Cody Barton playing at strong side? Uh, likely not. I think you would probably end up moving Brooks over there just because it's more athletic. No, you really? leave Brooks, you'd okay, leave so Brooks on the Are the you week. comfortable the with side, Cody Barton the playing side strong side linebacker for you for like, uh, it's probably only going to end up being 25% of the snaps maybe this year because of the way that um, they're going to play Blair a lot of nickel. Gonna be, uh, yeah, they're going to play a the lot of nickel with, with Blair um, and, getting snaps. Right. Um, and, and then Adams, you're also going to want, you know, they're going to be on the field a lot together. Yeah. So you're going to have, um, those two guys and, and dig. So you're going to have three safeties in a lot. So you're going to pull your strong side linebacker, um, quite a bit. Uh, and then, you know, and, and other times you're going to want to get your nickel corner in. I, I um, could actually see them spending a, um, a free agent, uh, signing low end free agent signing, not maybe not even a low end guy, but a guy that's just sitting out there that's going to end up taking a veteran minimum salary um, that, that you could get that would be an upgrade over Barton anyway. Maybe Bruce Irvin. Bingo. Which is part of why with, with this, I mean, honestly, like people are looking at, at KJ Wright and we'd love to have KJ Wright Absolutely. back. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but if he doesn't come back, I mean, Bruce Irvin, as he continues to rehab his knee, he's going to be able to pass a physical at some point and he's going to sign and he's going to sign for nothing because there's no money left out there. He didn't really play last year. 
he's an older guy coming off an injury. He's going to need to take a, a one-year deal to re- rebuild his value before next offseason. And, you know, so he's going to play for a million or a million and a half dollars. Uh, right. And he could come in and still be your strong side, you know, your uh, linebacker, your starter, um, compete with Cody Barton in that spot. And it's a position that's not going to get a ton of playing mm-hmm. time, as we've already said. So this is why I'm like, oh, yeah, if we get KJ, sure, that would be awesome. But I don't know if the team has to do that. Um, and I, I'm actually not. I'm not that concerned about having Cody Barton there. Yeah. He played he played reasonably in that spot as a rookie. I mean, it took him a while to adjust because he is a natural, like, weak side guy, and then they had to stick him in it at uh, at strong side with all the injuries and everything. And so he had a couple of off games before he started to come around. Um, You know, they could do that because he's not going to play much. You're right. You're not going to run. You're not going to line him up. And, you know, he's not going to play. This isn't like a couple of years ago where they were in the base defense all the time. This is going to kind of be the opposite. Mm-hmm. This is where they're going to be out there with, um, you know, a lot of um, extra safeties and, and moving people around and, and doing that kind of thing. So um, I'm not that I'm not that worried about. Right. It. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting, though, because Seattle does surprise you occasionally. And and this could be a position where they decide to, again, expend a resource on a position where they are have been fairly strong and maybe just don't want to get weak and want to plan mm-hmm. for the future a little bit. Maybe they're not enamored with Cody Barton. He's a great special teams guy, but obviously he hasn't come in and played a lot of reps at, at linebacker. A guy, a, like, fantastic special a, guy. a guy like Quincy Roach, like you mentioned earlier, can be a guy um, at 6'3", 243, uh, plays at, at Miami. Um, you know, he's a real technician, a guy that can play that strong side for you and move up. Or if you determine later on, um, he does have the size and frame where you could stick him at the Leo spot full time and, and, you know, bring somebody else along at at the strong side. So it gives you some scheme flexibility. A guy like that to me is, is a guy that I think they would consider if he's there in the fourth round or if they drop back, uh, off that second uh, 56 pick overall and pick up an additional fourth rounder. Then you mm-hmm. starting to talk about guys and, and draft picks where they can, um, they can then use on, on a player like that, you know, and that guy as well is, would be a special teams star on, oh, on yeah. the team because of his athleticism. Yep. Um, another guy in that same mold, but much lower uh, later in the draft um, would be, uh, Shaka Tony out of Penn mm-hmm. State, um, really undersized at six three, uh, two thirty eight as a defensive end. I don't think that's where he sticks. I think a move to either an outside linebacker in a in a four defense, yep. or a strong side linebacker in an odd front, um, four three like Seattle, uh, is where he belongs. And um, for me, what I haven't seen from him is like a forty time and 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 those kind of drills go. So I don't know if he projects as a um, as a strong side linebacker, but if he does, you know, making that transition, he looks like a guy that could could handle it well. Assuming that his well, I know he ran over a um, he ran over a four seven something, but I don't was it really that slow? Yeah, I don't remember oh, though terrible. what the actual time was, and he may uh, not have had his pro day yet. I think it he's either over that amount because um, he's not on my list of guys that ran sub. Four seven, uh, or he hasn't run yet. Okay, Another, that's that would that would that would just remove him off. I would I'd take him off my draft board, right? Not completely. Uh, a couple of other guys um, later, uh, Pete Werner uh, from Ohio State. I like this guy actually. Six three two forty two. He's got great size and athleticism. And another guy, Dylan Moses. Um, a lot of folks have him projected to go in the you know second third round. I'm thinking he's more of a fourth fifth round kind of a guy. 6'3", 235, a little undersized um, for rushing the passer. Uh, but um, he could be your strong side guy and and come up. Definitely, mm-hmm. he'd fit that kind of a mold. Um, played more edge in college, but you're going to want to transition him um, to a strong side guy. And that's that's really all I had on my <laughs> list for the most part. Um, well, I've also again, picked these up a are, couple of guys that were super late um, that would – you you might pick up in the seventh round or undrafted free agent that could come in and compete 
with the very loaded defensive end group rather than just the strong side linebacker um, position. And um, a guy that I like is uh, Chauncey Golston mm-hmm. out of Iowa. Uh, six four and a half, two sixty eight. Bigger guy, um, projects as a five tech. Uh, in Seattle's defense, so he'd come in behind Hader and Collier, and you know maybe, um, you know compete with a um, you know to, to pick up a roster spot there, playing, you know special teams and that kind of stuff. But I just like that. Um, he has great length, and he. Um, I don't know. He just uh, has a certain level of explosiveness, good first step um, type of, of guy that could come in and, um, and uh, just set that edge for you on that side and, and, and do some good things. But he's got a lot of development to go to really take advantage of, of his athleticism. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, and then on the, Go ahead. I was say, go ahead. I was gonna say on the other side of the line, I've got someone too. Well, I've got so. like a you know in the in a fourth round type of guy. I really liked um, in that in that four in that uh, five tech role, um, which again, <laughs> after after getting Hater on the Hider uh, on the team, you really don't uh, don't yeah. need a guy there. But like a guy like Cameron Sample um, from Tulane, I really liked, mm-hmm. um, and he had a really nice senior bowl. Uh, where mm-hmm. he just really stood out um, on a lot of uh, running plays, um, holding the edge and forcing plays inside or making the tackle. I thought, uh, you know, he didn't show too much uh, rushing the passer, but that's not what he was uh, he was in there for. Um, back end guys. Uh, now there's Malcolm Kuntz. It was a name to watch um, with with a little bit of athleticism. A guy that's really athletic that can play a Leo spot that's just really tall and has a lot of athleticism is Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa. Um, depending on where he runs his 40 um, at 6'7", 245, um, that guy could be really interesting with those long uh, wingspan arms um, to, to uh, affect the edge. Um, other than that, mm-hmm. Keith, I I don't really have a lot of uh, a lot of guys. The the Taekwon Ram, uh, Graham guy that I mentioned earlier at defensive tackle, he's also kind of a he can be the five tech, so he can move in and out. Um, and and I would really look at, at a guy like that. The only issue that I have with him is he's probably going to end up being slower, mm-hmm. which which makes you want to put some weight on him and and move him inside full time. Yeah, <clears throat> and then a guy that I had um, for special teams and development on the Leo side would be Kobe Jones, um, out of Mississippi state, uh, six, four, two seventy. So he's actually a little big for the Leo, but <clears throat> he actually, um, projects more as an outside linebacker, like a, um, a Russian in, in a three, four. So I think it's not that much of a difference for him to come up, put his hand on the ground. Um, and, uh, rush in a, in a pure pass rush only, uh, Leo, you know, so he's a rotational guy that would come in and, and just attack on every, on every down and not have any other, um, responsibilities. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that despite being at 270 needs to improve his, his strength a bit, but man, he's explosive. He can get, he has that bend to get around the corner potential to become, uh, an elite situational pass rusher. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be a, a full-time player, but we're talking about a guy that's a seventh round pick or um, undrafted free agent, probably in, in that range, maybe, maybe a sixth. I just don't see him going, going that early and just dropping, but at 270 on the, on the Leo side, that would, that he brings a certain level of explosiveness at that size. Good guy that could develop. I didn't know. I just, to me, it's a, um, it, he seems like a, a very sea hockey kind of guy. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I, this, this was a hard show to prep for because of, of what you stated before. Seattle's just really not going to be in the market for the defensive line. If there was one area that I think is probably most improved on the team, as far as position group, it's going to be defensive line this year, even though we lost Duran Reed, when you Mm -hmm. take a look at, um, at Hyder, and then you get bring Dunlap back for a full year and healthy. You've got Mayoa back. You're bringing back a player that you've never even seen yet. That's a high draft pick from last year in Taylor. 
Robinson is uh, had a great year for being a rookie and a fifth round pick. That guy's got you know some serious potential there. They've got some options with Taylor and Robinson as well. They're they're of the size and athletic ability too, where you can scheme diverse that thing all over the place. I mean the NASCAR packages that they can run um, with stunts and so forth this year, Keith, are just going to be amazing. They're going to be fun, is what they're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Next week will be a little bit more interesting because, uh, you know, strength side linebacker is a factor as far as um, a position of need still uh, with KJ Wright not being signed yet. I'm hopeful that he returns um, on a one or two year deal, but that remains to be seen. I think there's some talk uh, that he's interested and Dallas is interested in him. You know, so we'll see how that plays out. And then safeties yeah. as well. We're going to talk about safeties next week. Obviously, another position where we seem to be at strength. Jamal Adams and Diggs. We've got Amadi and Blair. Um, you know, at the most, they need a, a back-end filler guy that maybe scheme diverse. You've got, uh, what's his name? Um, Ryan Neal. Ryan Neal. Ryan Neal's kind of scheme diverse. You know, he plays a little bit. Uh, he can cover. He plays corner and strong safety. Yes, yes, um, right. I think I think he he's actually can play free safety. Although, if he ends up in there for digs, they'll play more too high safety, um, and yeah. you know drop Blair back. Um, yes, or Amadi. Yeah. And yeah, and, and and so they'll they'll play with with more guys uh, with basically a too high safety rather than a single high. Um, you know, if anything happens to digs, but I, I yeah, they just seem pretty set at safety, but corner. Corners a mess. Yeah, and we'll get and, to that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, they need they need corners. Um, and the fact that um, Dunbar and Griffin are both gone, signed elsewhere, um, on with new teams, that leaves them with um, it leaves them needing a starting cornerback. I still think they need a starting cornerback. I like Aleka Witherspoon, um, but right now uh, he is is he your cornerback one? And I don't know if that's a good situation to be in. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they might be enamored with him, but they need to see him on the field and, and work with him and find out what they've got. And until mm-hmm. then, you're going to have to hedge that situation because, and that might yeah. be one of the likely picks in the draft. You know, if there's uh, there's two or three positions um, in the draft that are really strong, offensive line, corner, and wide receiver. And yeah. the draft is pretty strong from the first round all the way to the seventh round for depth at those positions. And so it wouldn't shock me. I mean, yeah, it would shock me. What am I saying? It wouldn't shock me if they drop back a little bit and pick up like a a really nice corner in that third round um, to be a starting outside level cornerback because there are a few um, that are going to be available before pick 130. And I think that might be a good value spot to to grab a guy in that position that probably could come in and at least compete with Weatherspoon there for some time um, and or read and, um, and allow a guy to develop a year and see what you've got next year. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, is it, it's going to be, it's a good year need, need a cornerback mm-hmm. because his draft is really good at corner. Um, but the team needs at least one, I would say probably two. Um, and that is, that's, you know, that's not where the Seahawks want to be going into the draft. They don't want to, they don't want to go in knowing they have to find a starter at any position. And I kind of think they do. Yeah. I think, I I still think they need, I think they do. I think they do. And, um, I'm not, I'm not as worried about it. I think they can grab one in the, in the draft and, or I think there's going to be some options later on this summer. So, um, Tomorrow, we've got uh, a, a separate podcast that we're going to do tomorrow. We're going to be interviewing Surrey Poole, who is uh, an NFL writer for the uh, withthefirstpick.com. He's also a writer for the uh, fan-sided uh, network, the BB Chargers uh, website. And he's the co-host of the Inside the War Room for the NFL Draft Bible and uh, Sports Illustrated Now. And so that's going to be a fun show. We're going to talk draft. Um, we're going to talk prospects. We're going to talk what Seattle's been doing this offseason. 
probably some Russell Wilson talk. He's probably going to want to hear what we think about that. And we're going to want to hear what his outside perspective is on that as well. And just anything else that kind of comes up, we'll take a look at the NFC West. We're going to find out what other teams have been doing in our own division and how we stack up um, this offseason with those guys. So that's going to be a great, fun interview as well. That thing's probably going to end up coming out on Thursday, I think. And then, um, yeah, anything else, Keith? And we'll get this wrapped up and we'll um, we'll meet up again tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, no. I should, should say. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just, let's, uh, this, is my, this is one of my favorite months of the football year. Um, I love the draft, love doing all this. I'm like, let's just keep going. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's funny. We, we stack up all these. Pro- record this. Yeah, it's funny. We, <laughs> we talk uh, all these prospects and then we get to right before the draft. We kind of have a draft preview show. We kind of rehash everything. We're going to do a little mock draft as well. Uh, even though we only have got three picks so far, maybe that changes by, by then. Who knows uh, what's, what's going to happen, but we're going to talk strategy and draft picks anyway, because it's a tradition by now. We're entering our fifth annual mock draft show draft preview show so uh, we got to do that and uh, I've actually got the schedule kind of built um, all the way through the uh, to the first regular season game believe it or not Keith and I think I, I, I showed that to you but uh, um, I, I like to plan ahead I guess I'm a planner you are a planner <laughs> and right now I'm planning on ending this show so uh, find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of your uh, your shows. We're doing a, a back-end redevelopment on the website. I'll share with you guys as soon as it becomes available. And um, what else? That's it. Um, find your favorite podcast app uh, and add us to the, um, to the platform, to your feed. Subscribe. YouTube, all that good stuff. So until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.